We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field, but what we lack in proximity, we make up for in film study. And each and every week, we will be bringing you in-depth film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I'm your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. And I am joined today by BGN's own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter, X, whatever it is now, at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? Yes, I am wonderful. Um, good to be back. We had loads and loads of really, really um, positive comments after last week. Um, I'm going to address two things straight up. First of all, I did buy a microphone. Did have a few comments saying that my sound wasn't as good as I knew that would be the case. Um, with all things technology-wise, please bear with us as we get the tech sorted out. Um, so if you do have any comments, please tweet me and let me know about the sound. The other lovely thing is about 10 seconds after Shane hit record, uh, one of my neighbors decided to start letting off fireworks. So if you hear some explosive bangs in the background, it gets even better. Uh, it's not me celebrating the Eagles win. It was a fantastic win, um, but it is not that. But hopefully that doesn't cut through. But yeah, um, we spoke last week and I was a little bit pessimistic about this game actually off air. Um, and they just, they dominated, didn't they? So I'm, this is a such a fun game to break down for our second podcast. I think there's loads and loads of really cool stuff on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting straight into it. Yeah, I, I'm more excited to do this one than I was the first one coming off the loss. And uh, I've sort of realized as we've done this, I'm a bit more of an offensive guy and Johnny, I think gravitates a little more towards the defensive side of the ball. So that's going to be a nice mix for the podcast. Uh, before we dive in, uh, you guys, please leave us ratings on Apple iTunes. That's probably the best way to get us feedback. We had a couple of people leave some comments or some reviews last week, a few uh, ideas, things we're going to try to change up uh, to make the format a little easier to follow. So please drop us five-star rating on iTunes and, and in a review, if you've got any feedback or suggestions for us, just title it on the Shane page, whatever, uh, and leave those for us. And we'll try to take those into account. So I think we might've tried to do a little too much last week covering the whole game. We, we're step back. We're going to redo it a little bit this week. And so we're going to go through offensive and defensive top takeaways rather than trying to go through the game chronologically. We've each got three takeaways from each side of the ball. Uh, we're also going to incorporate a concept of the week segment where we'll sort of talk through a concept. We're going to have some plays on the screen for those of you watching on YouTube. We'll try to talk about them in a way that you'll get it if you're just listening on an audio platform later. But I will also compile a, a thread of all of the plays that we talk about, just like I did last week. So you guys can find that on my Twitter. Once the episode uh, drops on Twitter, I'll put that in there. So you guys, we can all be on the same page there with that. So with all that said, let's dive into the into the offense. We're going to take offense first this week. Uh, my first takeaway from the offense, one of the things that I really love to see was the offense slowing down the pace in this game. And we thought they might do that. You don't want to get into a shootout with the Dolphins, particularly uh, with Terrell Edmonds and Sidney Brown as your safeties. But it wasn't just that they slowed the game down. It's that they they would get up to the line quickly and use hard counts to expose safety rotations. The Dolphins play a lot of split field safety looks pre-snap, but they were rotating a lot into single high to get plus one in the box. They were bringing a lot of pressure off of the edge from slot cornerbacks. And one of the things I really liked that the Eagles did in this game was a fair number of times they would get up to the line and, you know, Hertz would hike the leg and throw his hands out and they would just see what the defense did. And then he could come up to the line and adjust. And you especially saw this early in the game. You know, there's one play in particular I'm thinking of where 
Uh, they read a corner blitz off of that, which means the safety is now in man coverage on the inside receiver, and they just ran a quick slant route to Devonta Smith. Easy completion. Uh, there was a lot of that in the game, and that's something that, you know, the Eagles are a tempo team. Tempo, 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 and that's good. It's also good sometimes just to get up to the line and read that out, and, you know, it, it took me back to the Peyton Manning days watching the Colts a little bit that they would get up to the line and just let him use his cadence and feel out the defense. And I liked that the Eagles are adding that into their game and they would still go tempo at times. They didn't do it as much in this game, but I thought that was a really helpful component to the passing attack just to know where the pressure was going to come from. So that was one of my biggest offensive takeaways. One of the things that really jumped out to me on film is how often they yeah what's that. interesting actually is about um and the way we'll do this by the way as you'll hear is we'll bounce off each other so i actually have looked at shane's points but sometimes they'll be the same sometimes they'll be different um as you were talking i wasn't even going to mention this but i think there's always been a, a little bit of talk about why the eagles don't use motion very much and i think it's important to remember that motion is a tool in the toolbox and actually not every team has to use it and um, despite the fact that dolphins i know use it a lot and have been very successful with it and this idea of controlling the tempo i think if you can go no huddle if you get to the line of scrimmage and you almost just sit there um defenses do move you see cornerbacks edge towards the line of scrimmage you can see their eyes move you can sort of get a feel for what's going on and that's one reason why i think the eagles probably don't use motion a lot i would imagine it's a quarterback driven thing and hurts maybe wants to see what the defense is doing and doesn't actually feel like he needs motion he actually wants to see almost like a static field so he can sort of get his brain in gear uh, and there was a few really nice examples of that in the game as you mentioned where they really did use um, a few sort of hard counts and try to get the defense um to show their hand um we're going to get into one example of that I, I didn't like actually in the second of the red zone though where i think the eagles were slow to change their mind but i'll get into something a little bit different I'm going to get into passing concepts this week. This was a really cool game because last week I moaned about sequencing and I don't didn't see a huge difference in sequencing this week, if I'm being brutally honest. But what I did see was them building off concepts they've used in the past. And that was cool. So last week I said, when are they going to take one of these sort of uh, stop and go deep shots to AJ Brown? And this week they did that at the end of the game um, with the deep completion to AJ Brown. He faked sort of the, the comeback and then went downfield. There was also some really lovely, um, and you can see on the screen now, if you're looking actually at the stop and go for all your YouTube watchers, um, there was a couple of other really nice concepts. So a couple of weeks ago, I wrote about a concept called heat, which is where you have sort of a deep over route and then the receiver sort of stops. This time they used a variation of that. And if you look on my timeline, and as Shane said, Shane is unbelievably good at this stuff, by the way, in terms of tweeting out the clips. So if you want to follow along afterwards, uh, please do check his timeline. Um, Devontae Smith actually ran, rather than stopping, he actually ran back towards the sideline. And it's quite a slow developing play, but it's a really, really nice um, sort of variation of a post-cross. It's also a really nice variation of a Shanahan play called Heat. And Heat is basically a deep post or a deep over with a sort of comeback in the middle of the field. And this was a variation. And the other thing I really liked, which does make you wonder if uh, Harry Rosen was, or Nick Sirianni was listening to the podcast last week, is I mentioned where have these Dallas Goddard intermediate routes gone? And very early on in this game, they threw a deep over to Dallas Goddard. It wasn't on a three-level stretch play. It was on a double post cross combo. Um, the reason why I really like the double post cross is you know what you're going to get with a Fangio defense. You're going to get a lot of quarters coverage. So you get the two um, deep posts take the two corner or the corner and the safety on that side of the field. 
when you play in a Fangio defense, the other safety will come across and help out against those deep crossing routes. So there's essentially this huge vacant hole um, where the posts were, which if you can run anything intermediate into that um, zone, you're going to find people wide open. I think it was just a really, really nice game plan by Brian Johnson. He seemed to have a really good feel of what the Dolphins were going to call. And he seemed to have a really nice variety of pass concepts to take advantage of that. So all in all, I just thought it was a really well-designed passing attack this week. And I actually think some of the mistakes were not down to Brian Johnson. They were down. And there wasn't a huge amount of mistakes in offense. But they were more down to individuals rather than it wasn't a game that I looked at the concepts and thought, what are the coaches doing? I think it was another really positive step forward um, for the offense. I know you're going to talk about one concept in particular in a second as well. Um, but yeah, I felt the Dol I think even the Dolphins, every time they went to man coverage, it seemed like the Eagles called mesh. I think they picked up two first downs on this game with shallow crossing routes or route, sorry, to Dallas Goddard. Um, I mentioned before the game about going into my American vocab and saying routes. I'm going to say routes because I'm an Englishman. Uh, it doesn't sound right when I say it anyway. I can see Shane laughing on the screen. Um, but yeah, they had a few really nice um, shallow crossing routes to Dallas Goddard. It just felt like Brian Johnson and Sirianni had a really good feel of what the Dolphins were going to call. So I was really happy overall with the passing concepts that they used in this one. Yeah, if you want to know how to beat a defensive coordinator, maybe bring him into your building for a year as a defensive consultant. You probably have a pretty good idea how his mind works. And uh, I agree with you. I thought that they were they were a step ahead of the Dolphins defense all day. You mentioned a concept that I wanted to talk about in particular. It's a concept called crash. And again, I'll tweet this out later. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it on the screen now. But crash is basically uh, it's a corner route from a slot receiver with a in route from the outside receiver. So it's similar to um, the way smash would work smash. You would have the little hitch to the outside receiver in the corner, and it's attempting to put the flat defender in conflict this time, instead of a hitch, it's this little in route. And they ran this play over and over and over to AJ Brown, at least five times. They ran it. AJ Brown scored a touchdown on it. That's on the screen right here. And this is not something that I've seen the Eagles run a lot before. But it's something that they ran a ton against the Dolphins. The Dolphins were uh, committed to being plus one in the box. They were, you know, they were rotating safeties down. They were really concerned about the Eagles' running game. I felt like, and they did a good job against the Eagles' rushing attack. You know, they held they held them to 99 yards on 34 carries, which that includes hurt scrambles. Uh, overall, I thought they did a pretty good job, but that comes at an expense. And normally for the Eagles, the expense if you're going to flood the box like that is that we're going to take vertical shots. I didn't feel like the Eagles took a lot of deep shots in this game, which is maybe surprising, but they continued to hit this concept time after time after time that on the last drive, you know, they get a, they get a third and five, they run this to get to fourth and one and they brotherly shove for the first down. And uh, they did it for a touchdown. Like it was just all over the film and it's, it's rare that, I don't recall. I'm sure the Eagles have run it. I've never noticed it on film. So to see a concept that you haven't noticed and all of a sudden, like like I said, it was at least five times. That's like 16% of Hertz passing attempts. It might have even been more the the fourth and four scramble drill that he threw the deep ball to A.J. Brown that he was tackled at the one. I thought it was a touchdown. That was also a crash. He just didn't take the throw at first and he scrambled. So they ran it a lot. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, if you watch my all 22 passing game review. You'll see me highlighted a few more times 
if you go back and watch the game for yourself, almost all of these in routes to AJ Brown, it came off of that. And so I thought that was an interesting wrinkle and in development, something I hadn't seen before from Brian Johnson. Yeah, I think it's um cool, by the way. We said off air sort of how we're going to do this podcast. And we want to appeal to like the real X's no nerds. I think that's the idea. But we also want people to learn the game. Um, and I think looking at Shane's Twitter, for example, and his YouTube video on a concept like Crash, I think a lot of people like myself grow up playing Madden. And you expect to see these concepts look perfect every time. And it's really hard to actually know what the concept is sometimes. Sometimes concepts change. Uh, a certain route might change depending on the, the position of a safety or a cornerback. And it's really hard to know exactly what you can see. So I like like sort of grouping them. That's the way I view the game now. So I've seen the Eagles run smash a lot. I think you can even call the Eagles slot corner. Sorry, not slot corner, a slot fade. The Eagles run a lot of slot, uh, slot fades last year. They haven't run as many this year on the Brian Johnson. We saw that quite commonly run to Devontae Smith last year. So I try to sort of link plays together in set categories. Um, and that's like what I would call it comes from the smash tree. So we see a lot of teams run a variation of smash. In my opinion, it's a really, really nice um, little, little way to mix it up. I think it's really good against a defense run by Fangio because... Uh, I, I love going off topic on these things. People get obsessed in the modern world now. We're talking about two high safeties being the only way of stopping explosive plays. There are hundreds of ways you can stop explosive plays. You can play single high if you want and have your corners 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. We know what Vic Fangio wants to do. Whether he's plus one in the box or whatever, he wants to take away vertical shots. You are not going to throw six, seven uh, deep shots against the Brandon. I'm sorry, against the Vic Fangio defense. I was going to say, unless it's run by Brandon Staley, because he appears to not have an actual idea how to run that defense very well. Um, but they were playing off coverage a lot, like a lot. So AJ Brown is not going to simply charge bar past off coverage. And in fact, I think early on in the first or second quarter, they tried to get AJ Brown on a um, stop and go, and they weren't able to do it because the, the cornerback was just so far back. So that um, crash concept is brilliant because it's a simple win. But the cornerback is showing so much respect to AJ Brown. It means basically it's a really easy completion. Um, and that leads me to, perfectly on to my second takeaway, which is just AJ Brown is so good. Sometimes I myself am guilty of getting too caught up in the X's and O's of football. And I always tell myself, and I think it's so important for everyone to remember, players beat scheme every time. It's always players over scheme. I don't care how good your scheme is. If you don't have the players to run it, you will not succeed. Look at the 49ers. Carl Shanahan is supposedly the greatest offensive mind there is. He still has a top three tight end. He has two elite wide receivers and probably the best running back in football, as well as one of the greatest uh, tackles over the last decade as well in Trent Williams. You need elite football players to make anything work. I don't care how good your quarterback is. You need weapons for him, for example. AJ Brown is so good. I was shocked when I first scouted him. So when the Eagles traded for him and I really went back and watched his game in uh, Tennessee, he was better than I thought. I think you can make an argument now. It's him, Tyreek and Justin Jefferson. I, I think he's separating from someone like Chase even because of the variety of ways he can win. He's pretty much unstoppable at the moment. He's so big and so fast. And you already highlighted the touchdown where he just ran through two defenders it's his ball tracking ability as well on that vertical shot to basically win the Eagles the game. That is not an easy catch. This is going to sound like a negative, but it's not. I mean, it's in a positive way. Go and watch again the final play when he caught the um, the um, stop and go. Devontae Smith is running a mirrored concept on the other side of the field. So they are running the exact same um, concept. He's five yards further down the field than Devontae Smith is. Like he has explosiveness that Devontae Smith just doesn't have. 
and I know it's on the screen right now. You can just see how when he comes out of his break, I mean, he's gone. Like he's at the 20 and Smith's at the 25. Um, and people wonder why Devontae Smith's not getting the targets. And the unfair truth is that he's not as good. He does not run with that explosiveness. He is not 6'2", built like a tank, can also vertically track the ball like that. Um, we're just witnessing like a really, really elite player. And as good as the Eagles coaching is, as good as Jalen Hurts is, as good as the offensive line is, you don't go anywhere in this world without elite players. And AJ Brown is really, really elite at this point. The other thing he did really well is something that I complain about the Eagles is they don't do things with outside of structure. In fact, I think you could argue it's the missing link to the Eagles offense last year, as good as it was, was they're not as good outside of structure. The play down to the one yard line that wasn't a touchdown, but very nearly was. And that is exactly what I want to see this offense do. Because I think actually Hurts is really good in rhythm these days. Um, but I want to see them win like they do here outside of structure. And if you just watch AJ Brown, by the way, notice the concept, if you're watching on the screen, it's definitely smash again. <laughs> it's definitely smash again. Uh, same concept you mentioned earlier. It's the corner with the in route. But this time, AJ Brown realizes it's not worked. He's not free. And rather than stop and sort of wander left and right or keep coming back to the ball, he you can see him spin instantly. And he's desperately trying to find space in the defense. And I think there is nothing better than a receiver that can win in multiple ways because he basically becomes impossible to stop. The way the Eagles offense is set up at the moment, the way that teams want to be plus one in the box, it's so hard to double someone like AJ Brown. I think he's basically playing at a level that is nearly unstoppable. Um, it's been a while. I know everyone compared to that Terrell Owens because he's as good as, if not the greatest player to play wide receiver since Terrell Owens for the Eagles. And it's just so cool. It's so cool to turn on the film every week and watch him do his thing. I think he is taking his game to even another level this year. And I think he deserved a mention because I think people just take it for granted how good he is. I think there's a, a serious argument. He is currently the best receiver in the NFL. And that's pretty insane to think that the Eagles have that guy. And all I had to do was trade a first and a third and pay him, of course. But he is worth every penny. Um, I just thought he was really, really good in this game. Yeah, and... Two, two things that come to mind hearing you talk about A.J. Brown. One is on the double move play at the end of the game. He does such a good job, that stutter and go, and he gets inside the cornerback. But he can't he can't break the route off. He's got an inside release, but he can't break it off on like a post route because there is a middle of the field safety. And I thought he does a really good job of bending that route back to the sideline, stacking the corner, pushing him away to create space. And then if you watch the play, you can see like at the last second, he darts inside the hash to catch it. He's creating room the entire route by squeezing that. That's what a cornerback does. Like a cornerback will play with inside leverage on a receiver and try to push him to the sideline, squeeze him to the sideline. AJ Brown's doing that as a receiver, just squeezing that guy out. And then he comes in and makes the catch. Fantastic nuances in his route running. Uh, just can't be overstated how good he is. And especially like with Jamar chase on IR right now, I th think you can easily make the argument. AJ Brown is the best receiver in the NFL. I, I know like he doesn't have Tyreek Hill's speed and, and not that Tyreek Hill wouldn't be elite without all the motion and things that are creating free releases for him, but you just don't have to bother with AJ Brown, just put him anywhere and he can go win from the slot isolated in a three by one. It doesn't matter. He can go win. Uh, from any release, any leverage, any route, any down. And that's so much fun to watch. One point I wanted to ask you on, on the scramble drill play, I feel like 
So I pointed this out in my past game review. I'll have you watch this. So like you said, the running crash, this is fourth and four. I feel like on fourth and four, Jalen should probably make this throw. He should probably pull the trigger on it. There's something he doesn't like about it. And he scrambles like this would be a collision at the catch point. They're breaking downfield, but I feel like on fourth and four Hertz should probably let that rip. At the end of the day, though, athleticism trumps all things in process, and you're able to get an even bigger play because he doesn't. But but watching that back, did you have any thoughts about that uh, live as you watched it or with me bringing it up now? Do you think Hurt should pull the trigger on this throw? Hey, you, you, what pull the trigger thoughts? to who? AJ Brown or to Dallas Goddard? To, to Brown on that initial Yeah, I think it's tricky. Break. I think you can make an argument. He could even um, throw it to Dallas Goddard. I think there's an argument. If you see the cornerback that's coming up and playing AJ Brown... I think you can argue it is possibly a window. Um, no, I don't, if I'm being honest. Um, I think it's really interesting, actually. We could have a whole huge discussion about the way the quarterback's positions played, and this is what would often happen in these podcasts as we go on tangents, um, is I think I learned from the school of thought, sort of Greg Cosell, school of thought, the idea that, you know, pocket passer was the number one thing you needed to be. Funny enough, I think Tua has been brilliant for the Dolphins this year. But I think watching the two of them play this week, it's so clear in my mind that I want a quarterback who's better outside of structure. We're going to get into the Eagles defense later, but the things they could do defensively against Tua, you can't do against Hurts. I almost want a quarterback that can win in every single way now. And I think you're going to have to accept that quarterbacks are probably not going to make the really tight window throws that they used to make because they don't need to. I think you could say he could squeeze that in, but I think playing the percentages, running outside of structure should no longer be seen as a weakness. There is a limit. So there is a there is a real limit. You can't just play outside of structure. You see Justin Fields this year. You have to be able to execute an offense. And I think Jalen Hurts, what's made him so good is that he does. He really, really can execute as a pocket passer. Like if Jalen Hurts couldn't scramble, he'd still be a good quarterback. He wouldn't be an elite quarterback, but he is good enough now to play inside the pocket. Um I, th- I imagine, and I don't know this, but I imagine with the emphasis even on fourth down with turnovers and could that be batted up in the air and go the other way as a pick six, as we actually saw ironically happen later on. Um, I think that you would tell a quarterback like Hurts, who's so good outside of structure, if it's 50-50, don't take it and get outside. Because the way the game is played now, some of these quarterbacks are so good outside of structure. I would agree with you maybe five years ago. That fourth and four, that's the read. Can you squeeze it in there? Is it going to be really tough? There are always moments for that. But I almost think the way the game is played now, if you, and I think this is another thing I feel a lot very strongly about outside of structure play, is outside of structure is almost a rubbish way of saying it because it implies that it's random. I don't think outside of structure plays are random anymore. They are coached. You hear NFL players or receivers talk about how often they coach it. Now, there's, a limited amount of time you can do things during the NFL season and you can't coach everything. So some teams will spend more time on out of structure plays than others. But outside of structure does not mean random. If you watch that um, not touchdown, that throw down to the one, what AJ Brown is doing there is probably worked on in practice. So he knows, right, Jalen Hurst is going to his right-hand side. If he goes to his right-hand side, bend it to the left and then sprint out to the right deep again because there's a very good chance the safety would have been pulled away or whoever's the deep middle defender uh, hasn't got the speed to get back and cover that. We almost need a new word. Um, I say outside of structure. That's the way I phrase it. But that play to me is not random. That play is not a fluke. That play is, yeah, scramble, scramble drill. drill. Play, yeah, that's a much better way of saying it. Because that play is should be worked on in practice. And I think even really, really good offenses now, what they should do, and I hope the Eagles do, and I'm sure they do, 
is you almost look at a concept and say, right, if this concept doesn't happen, what are we doing? If this concept doesn't work, what's plan B? Because looking around the league, and I don't get the chance to watch a huge amount of all 22 of other teams, I watch a few each week. And I'll also obviously watch who the Eagles are playing and when the Eagles are on defense against them. You don't see many fulfilled reason in the NFL anymore. Like you don't see many quarterbacks go one to two, reset their feet, three to four. What you see is half field reads. You see one to two, no backside dig. Or you see one to two, no check it down, Derek Carr. Or you see one to two, no scramble. That's the way the game's played at the moment. So in my in the way, if I'm Jaden Hurts there, if I don't think I can squeeze it into one, even on fourth down, it's fine. One to two is not open. Get out to the right-hand side. I almost think that's coached. And I hope the way they... Uh, design plays is that they almost tell receivers and instruct them right like you would when any route come oh i said it again like you would with any root concept i've got to stop talking like an american it's terrible too many podcasts i listen to um in any good root concept you shouldn't have receivers close together scramble drill should be the same so if there's a scramble drill don't have all three receivers sprint down the field because all you're doing is bringing um defenders towards each other so you might deliberately actually have, you might say to Dallas Goddard, you know what, actually don't run around in a scramble drill. Just sit there. You stay in that zone. And I think it's a really good example. So personally, I would say don't squeeze it in there, even on fourth and four, because I like to think the way the modern NFL is, I think there's such a interesting way the game is going where you get these quarterbacks like Justin Fields come out who basically can't play from a pocket in the NFL, but they can do the other stuff. Whereas previously, you would want to draft a quarterback high who could win inside the pocket. And if they can do the other stuff, it's a bonus. I think with someone like Jalen Hurts, personally, I am perfectly okay with that sort of play. What infuriates me is when he bails from the pocket early, when something could uncover later, or he doesn't, he eliminates what isn't there too quickly. And then similarly, what annoys me is when I don't feel like they worked on a scramble drill. So he'll just roll out to the right and no one seems to be moving. No one seems to have any idea what's going on. I imagine they've almost, and I like to think in the um, meeting room before the game, they've said, right, if this is not open, Goddard, you sit there, stay combat, because what Hurts can then do is he can throw it to you on the sideline if he rolls out to the right. But then behind you, AJ Brown, spin and run in behind to the corner. And in my opinion, that should be an actual design, in which case... I think you can argue the percentages of converting that play are higher doing that than trying to squeeze in a football into a very tight window. That is the kind of thing we'll do on this podcast is we will ramble about stuff we don't intend to talk about. But I think it's a good question because it wasn't something that I considered. Um, and it's just sort of taken me into a place that, yeah, that's why I probably didn't see it because the way I view football now is different to how I viewed it um, five, six years ago, which is why we love the sport. Yeah, I, I'm, I was wishy-washy on it when I recorded my All-22. I was like, I think there's a window to deliver that, to get the first down. It's going to be a collision at the catch point. You trust A.J. Brown there. So that's the process. But at the same time, I will never fault Hertz for using his athleticism to create a big play if he's not sure. So I think you convinced me, though. I, I'm, I like the decision to pull it there. So uh Anyway, so that's our first two points. Uh, Johnny, would it help if I start saying root instead of route? Will that help uh, you stay in your uh, stay in your Englishman this is, voice? This is a peek behind the curtains. Keep in mind, every single person I listen to is American, speaks about this sport. And I say root 99.9% .9 of the times, but then I've just heard too much commentary and I hear people say shallow cross route. And I, I don't sound good when I say it. So I'm going to stick to being British. 
Um, do you know what? It's a total random point. I don't get any... I mean, I tell people that I talk about the NFL, they always say, oh, do you get loads of grief from Americans and being English? And I genuinely don't. I've got like three bad comments in my life on Twitter, believe it or not, about being English and not understanding the game, which shocks me. I'll probably now get about 50 telling me to stop pronouncing terribly <laughs> or words in terrible American because I do not have a good American accent. I'm very clearly British. So I will say Roots. Maybe we'll introduce like a drinking game to the pod one day and I'll just take a shot every time I say uh, Root the wrong way. I'll end up hammered by the end of it and going off on Jonathan Gannon, even though he's not here anymore or something laughable. But anyway, um, right. I think we've got the... Yeah, if you guys don't like how Johnny <laughs> says route, uh, leave us a five-star rating and review go. on Apple Podcasts and tell him he's saying it wrong. I, I just realized, so I was in Philadelphia for this week's game and I, I, there, I'm a huge history nerd. I used to be a history teacher. I was doing all the history things, taking pictures, posting them on Twitter, and at, obviously talking about the Declaration and the Revolutionary War because that's all Philadelphia-centric. And I posted something uh, saying that, telling people that not many people know, but three years ago when I started a football podcast, I almost started a history podcast instead. And one of the listeners said that, you and I should just do a history podcast. And I said, yeah, Johnny and I doing a history podcast about the revolu the American Revolution might be interesting. And I just realized I'm wearing my 1776 hat on the podcast. So I apologize to Johnny if I'm unintentionally wow. being offensive here. Didn't but, even realize. Uh, it's been a long time. I think, I think we're over <laughs> it. We, I, I don't think Brits care too much. I don't think we care too much. Um, yeah. We're, we're all friends now. I mean, we're doing podcasts about the birds together. So... All right, well, let's get into our final offensive takeaway. This one's the same for both of us. I'll lead it off and let Johnny jump in. But the red zone play calling. Um, I want to focus specifically on the opening drive where the Eagles, uh, first nine plays, they cover 69 yards to get to first and goal at the eight. And on those nine plays, you had uh, DeAndre Swift with four carries for eight yards. You had Jalen Hurts going three of four passing for 46 yards. There was also a six-yard completion in there that's negated because of defensive offsides. Hurts had back-to-back 22-yard -back completions to Goddard. It was the uh, the mesh, which, by the way, uh, if you go back and watch those when the Eagles go empty, they're running mesh, but they're also turning it into flood on one side with the drag that comes across, which I think is really cool. Um I, I, someday he's going to throw that out route on the flood concept if it's zone coverage, which is just perfect. You've got a zone and a man beater in the same play. But you get that, you get the double post over route to Goddard that we talked about earlier, and you get to first and goal at the eight. Then you go QB read option. Hertz keeps the ball and he slides at the line of scrimmage. First of all, I'm out on QB read options if Hertz is going to slide. And I'm not opposed to him not taking contact. But that can't be a play call if you're going to slide down to avoid contact for no gain. Uh, then you go QB read again. As far as I can tell, it's a read again. This time it's a handoff to Gainwell for nothing. Then you go QB draw from empty at the tent. The Dolphins know it's coming. There were like four Dolphins fans, two rows in front of me. They were saying QB draw as soon as the Eagles went empty. Uh, the Dolphins get into a cover zero blitz. You run into it like you run, and I know Hertz may have checked into this, and if so, like this shouldn't even be on the menu. You run a draw into a plus one box count rather than throw a one-on-one -on -one ball to A.J. Brown, to Dallas Goddard, to Devonta Smith. They're all one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, the Eagles end up settling for a field goal. Now, it ultimately doesn't matter. I just hate that sequence in the red zone. I'm, I'm over the QB read options, the QB run, 
the draw from empty. I, I just don't like it in the red zone. Am I crazy? No, it was horrendous. So uh, it was actually my um, birthday on Sunday and I was away. So we've been getting to this game late. And I woke up the morning after to watch this game. And we were staying with a few friends. And I was watching it, people who don't watch the sport. Uh, not classic English people, not American football fans. So I'm half watching it, very stressed. While I'm trying to explain to hungover people what is going on. And they were like, why are you so angry when we kick the field goal? And I, and I couldn't explain just how annoyed I was at, the, at those free plays in the red zone. Because I'm not anti-Brian Johnson. I've been quite po positive about everything. But someone explained to me, like I'm five, why you run a read option on first down when Hertz is clearly going to slide. Okay, If Hertz has no interest in getting hit because he's injured, totally fine. If he has no interest in getting hit because he's injured... Why are you running a QB draw on third and long if he's not going to take a one-on-one -on -one option? Because that QB, um, the reason why the Eagles were so good in the red zone last year is, I, I sort of disagree with you to an extent, is read options brilliant if Hurts is going to actually try and beat a man. Because that first down run, he's one-on-one. -on -one. Like, Jalen Hurts is a fantastic athlete. If you were to say, right, we're going to run a play and we're going to get Jalen Hurts one-on-one -on -one with no one else around, I'd go, yeah, do it. You know, if you do that three times in a row, you'll beat the guy once, you'll score a touchdown. You're going to go for it on fourth down. You've got four attempts, even better. But he literally just falls to the floor. He has no interest in beating the guy. So if you have no interest in beating or running your quarterback because he's hurt and you're trying to stop him taking hits, why are you running QB draw on third down on the very same drive? He's just slid and then he's getting another whack anyway. So I think the thing that, and I'm sure this will be the last week we see this, because the Dolphins knew, to say the Dolphins knew what was coming would be an understatement. Um, you can see on the clip here, and if you go on our timeline, you'll see it. Look how obvious. The linebackers here are playing them easy. They're, they're pretending to be in coverage. They're hiding. They're almost saying, oh, no, we're going to be in coverage. Please run it. And the second Kelsey snaps the ball, the linebackers just blitz immediately. They know exactly what they are doing here. So what you've got to do now is play off your tendencies. So on this podcast, we'll try and talk about things I think the Eagles could do. I'm fine with any of the read option game as long as Hurts is actually going to run it. If he's not, people hate fade balls. I'm okay with it to Ray J. Brown because he's that good. I know it's a low percentage play. PFF are going to tweet me and say, it's a low percentage play. I don't care if it's a low percentage play. Play your best player. And if AJ Brown is one-on-one, -on -one, take the shot. The other thing I'd love them to do is get creative off of the... Um, QB draw, because I now think what you can do in NFL is that when teams know your tendencies, it can, you can use it to your favor. Like, by all means, brilliant. So go empty on first down. Pretend you're going to run a QB draw. And then what you could do is Cam Newton ran this play years ago, and I think I tweeted out about four years ago about how much I enjoyed it, was Cam Newton would take the balls if he's going to run a QB draw. He would take two steps towards the line of scrimmage, and then the, the, the receiver, the slot receiver would run a slant and he basically throw the slant while running forward towards the line of scrimmage. It's quite a hard skill to do, but the defenders would see Cam running, panic because it was Cam Newton, start charging towards him exactly like the linebackers did there and you can throw it behind him. So I see no reason why you can't take the attack the defense, know what you're doing to your advantage. Ironically, they did run... Uh, a really nice screen pass to Dallas Goddard later on on a run screen option, which I think was really cool. And that is something that I was happy to see in the red zone. But yeah, the red zone calling on that first drive was as it was just it was just awful. Like the other thing I'd like to see him do is maybe some boot action, uh, run some naked bootlegs where you might get lucky and Hertz can take it into the end zone, or you have sort of AJ Brown running from the other side of the field. So you can try and squeeze it there into the back of the end zone. 
Um, but yeah, they've got to work on that because like, we keep saying it and we are being nitpicky and the Eagles did win by lots and they beat an extremely good Dolphins team very easily. But you want to be the best you possibly can. So when you walk into the playoffs, you are at your absolute peak and the Eagles are not going to win the Super Bowl being 26th or 27th in red zone scoring because it is going to come back to bite them eventually. So I think it's a fair way to end, a bit of a negative way to end on the offense, but I think we were both impressed overall by the general design, the concepts, the way the offense played. Um, but they need to work on that red zone because they didn't really, I didn't really see anything else that changed later on. I think the run screen option was just outside the 10. I'd almost, I don't, is there an NFL word for inside the 10? Um, is it just, do you, would you go first and goal? Like that's the way I would describe it. It's red zone maybe is the wrong way of saying it. I'm not too worried about them when they're, 20 yards out weirdly it's when they're on the seven or the eight when basically they can't run the ball because the defense has got too many men in the box and they just keep running it's game well and going nowhere or the read option doesn't work because Hurts doesn't want to keep it they now need something else because the qb draw worked against the jets um last week but it only just worked and they literally ran it twice in a row and just got in on the fourth down and some would say that wasn't a touchdown anyway so they need to have something else now to their game because what they're doing at the moment isn't working um, when they get that close um, towards the goal line. All right. So that is our big takeaways on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to throw it to a quick break here, and then we will be back to talk Eagles defense back after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back here on the Shane page, turning the page to the defensive side of the football. Like with the offense, we're going to each give you three big takeaways from the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I'm going to dive in first here, and I'm going to talk about Hassan Reddick in the run game. I thought Hassan Reddick was fantastic in this game. There's clips rolling on the screen. I'll tweet them out later. I, I said before the week that one of the keys was forcing this Dolphins run game inside. 75% uh, of the Dolphins runs coming into this game, non-QB runs, uh, have been outside runs, and they've averaged almost 0.3 EPA per attempt versus inside runs where they averaged under 0.03 EPA per attempt. So they were so much better when they can get to the edge, and Hassan Reddick was having none of it in this game. Uh, I thought he did a really good job. You're going to motion a guy out, they're not going to let you get to the edge. Hassan Reddick was doing a really good job of flying downhill. I said on Twitter, this might be the best game Hassan Reddick has played as an Eagle. And he didn't get a sack, but he was so active in the run game. I swear he missed like four sacks by inches, uh, by, by centimeters for our English friends. Uh, wait, you guys use centimeters, right? You said inches earlier, but no, you're using metric, right? We're centimeters, but in NFL, I will say inches. I will use that. Okay. Yeah. I can't say centimeters. Then we're getting really weird. Okay. So yeah, I mean, he missed, he missed several sacks and trying to throw Johnny a bone by centimeters. Um, he even had one play and it was on the clip that I showed where he actually bailed into coverage and then he made a really good open field tackle in the flat. And so I thought Hassan Reddick did a great job in this game. 
Uh, and that was part of the reason like the Dolphins just essentially abandoned the run. The, there were some times later in the game, especially in the third quarter, there was a drive where both Sweat and Reddick were off the field. Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett were in and the Dolphins were able to get to the edge and, and pick up some chunk plays. And, you know, then Sweat and Reddick came back in and it was just clamped back down. But that was one of the biggest things. The Eagles wanted to stop that outside run and they were able to do it. And that allowed them to put so much more into stopping these in-breaking routes that we'll get into in a minute. So shout out to San Reddick for one of the better games I've seen him play as an Eagle. Yeah, and it's funny. We we didn't actually look at each other's points, but we tried to line them up. And I have been, this one you know, you've got the football sickness. I've been excited to talk Eagles run defense all week. I was so impressed by the Eagles run defense. I mean, you went in on Reddick in particular, and I think that's very fair because the improvement he's made since he joined the Eagles against the run is out of this world really that was his weakness he would get he he could get washed out on plays especially when setting the edge um the eagles run defense man like people who say running game doesn't matter like go away that whole nonsense that happened a few years ago like the running game is dead the running game is not dead it's huge if you can get teams in third and long every good nfl offense wants to run the ball every single one and if you can run it it makes everything easier for your team um Last year, the Eagles philosophically did not want to stop the run. And that annoys people when I say that, but I mean it. They did not care about stopping the run. They were happy to give up four or five yards per carry. This is the completely different uh, Eagles. It's a just totally different style. Um, I love how they've been able to stop the run this year with four-man fronts. But this year, really interestingly, actually, they went to a five-man front basically all the time. Like I can't remember many snaps early down with a four-man front. And it, interesting enough, I don't know if this was because he was coming back from being hurt, or whether they felt that they wanted their best run defenders out there in this game. But basically, the, the middle three on early downs was always Davis, um, Cox to his left, and Milton Williams to his right. Um, not Jalen Carter, who played probably the fewest amount of snaps when he's healthy, I think he's played this year. They were so good. I mean, Jordan Davis has proved me wrong without a doubt. He has been exceptionally good this year. There were snaps when they're trying to double-team him. They've got two men on him, and he doesn't move. Like, you can see it from the All-22 angle perfectly. He does not go anywhere. Um, the discipline they show in their run gaps is brilliant. You don't see people um, try to make the hero play and jump into a gap that's not theirs um, very often. They're just so well disciplined. Milton Williams is a top twenty, top twenty-five defensive tackle in this league. Like I said, he's good for ages, and I I said he's good since his rookie year. He just gets better and better. There's nowhere to go. Like there is nowhere to go. I think even playing Cunningham on 100% of the snaps this week shows how much they're committed to stopping the run because nobody would argue that Cunningham is better in space than uh, Moreau or Nicobe Dean. He's clearly weak in space, yet he played every single snap because he is a really good run defender and the Eagles are just focused on stopping the run. Stopping the run is all about numbers, but it's also about uh, discipline. It's, it's very boring. It's about false players and spill players and what gap have you got and gap discipline and the U2 gap or the U1 gap. What I found so interesting this game, and there are so many clips that you'll see on the screen as we're talking about this, the Eagles didn't need linebackers. Like there was, I would bet like 20% of the times the Dolphins running game went nowhere, 25%. You didn't even need a linebacker. They could have not had a linebacker on the play. The front five just won. The Dolphins could not get rid of Jordan Davis, Milton Williams. Uh, Derek Barnett, no one likes him, myself included, because he's a bit annoying and he hasn't done very well. But he's a really good run defender. Like people can say what they want about Derek Barnett rushing the passer, and they're exactly right. He's not good rushing the quarterback. He is a nasty run defender. Josh Sweat is a really good run defender. Hassan Reddick has become a really good run defender. And then the defensive tackles are all just good. 
and by the way, um, the other guys they've got, um, Street 97, he's a good run defender. Uh, Ajomo, um, who they signed as a UDFA, who I loved watching. He's a good run defender. Like, this team is just so disciplined and so good against the run. You could quote a play with every single player on the defensive line having a great rep this week against the run. I've got a clip of Nicholas Morrow um, bursting through a gap in the red zone. And I thought it was interesting, by the way, they seem to use Morrow. I don't know if you noticed this as a red zone linebacker in this game. Whereas when they were between the 20s, it seems to be Nicobe Dean more of the time. And I'm guessing that's because Dean can cover space better. I, I just, I feel like it's not very sexy to talk run defense because there's not a lot of things you can show and there's not a lot of cool concepts we, we can draw up. It, but it's basic fundamentals of how you win football games. You win in the trenches. The gap discipline they show is really, really good. And they're not just giving up like 3.5, four yards of carry. Most of the time, they're completely nullifying plays. They're giving up naught. There's that Nicholas Murrow play I was talking about. They're getting negative yardage. And sometimes when you look at yards per carry, it can lie because you can go 0, 0, 0, 0, 50. And it looks like you've had a good run game. They did have a few explosive run plays, the Dolphins. They always will because they're a very, very good running team. Ironically, a lot of those run plays happened when Hassan Reddick wasn't in the game and we love Brandon Graham, but he struggled a little bit in space a couple of times on the edge. You even had in this game, and I didn't tweet this up and you, I doubt you have a clip, but I didn't mention it, but Darius Slay had a play where I don't know if you noticed, he made a tackle in the box coming up and I was like, oh, what? Darius Slay is now coming forward. It's almost like an identity. The Eagles defense seems to thrive on stopping the run and i'm okay giving up a few big runs on the edge if you want to be aggressive you give up you give up a few 15 20 yards that's fine because if you're constantly shutting down a run game to zero one two or three yards on first and ten and second and ten you are setting yourself up for success and this eagles defense is so good in third and long situations because of how good the pass rush is so stopping the run just becomes so important for this team it killed them last year it hurt them in the super bowl against um kansas city chiefs as well they struggled against the run a lot last year, and the only way they stopped it was playing five-man fronts. This year, they've showed they can stop it with four-man fronts. They've shown they can stop it with a safety in the box. This game, safety was nowhere to be seen. Safety's barely played any part of the Eagles' run fits at all. They said to the front five, your job. Linebackers helped, but they almost weren't needed that much. I'm just so impressed with what the Eagles were able to do from a run defense point of view this game. Um, I haven't actually typed up my defensive article this week, but I'm already excited to get into it even more. Uh, it was just cool. Like, I love seeing, I'm old fashioned in that way. I like stopping the run. I think it's a big part of the game that's underrated. I don't think you can underrate it from a mentality point of view as well. It's a mindset. It's that you are not going to be able to run against us. And I think it sets the tone that the Eagles set the tone. You mentioned Reddick. He set the tone on that first drive, didn't he? With, I think, one or two really big tackles for loss. There was like, it was almost like the Eagles were saying to the Dolphins, this is not the Broncos. Uh, they, we are not going to get beat just by you running through the secondary wide open. Like, we are going to stop your running game. And I think it just puts offenses on the back foot. So I was so, so impressed with the Eagles' run defense. Yeah, that, that play that you mentioned, Nicholas Morrow's tackle for loss, he does such a great job of attacking downhill, flowing through the gap and making it uh, con contacting the running back in the backfield. The other thing I love so much about that, if you watch the play, he recognizes in real time that the running back that Raheem Mostert landed on top of him and he's not down. And if he thinks he's down and lets go of him, it's a touchdown, but he keeps a hold of his foot until other guys are able to get there. I thought that was great awareness by, uh, by, I almost said Nicobe Dean by Nicholas Morrow. Uh, he made a great play, 
but also recognizing that the guy wasn't down because your great plays probably for nothing. It's probably a touchdown if he doesn't. So that was a great situational awareness by Morrow. So, okay. Uh, my second point that I noticed from the defense, and you talked about the Eagles uh, aggressiveness in the running game. This is a little bit of a negative side of that. I, I noticed several plays where Nicobe Dean was just entirely too aggressive playing play action. And so some clips are flowing here, but uh, especially for a team like the Dolphins who use play action to open up that 10, 15 yard dig routes over the middle. When your running back is flying as hard downhill as Nicobe Dean was in some of these instances, it just opened up all the space in the world to drop that pass over Dean in front of the safety to Tyree Kill. Now, will you give up a couple of those if it means you really just shut down the run game altogether? I mean, sure. But I felt like it was a little excessive at times. And I think that's a that's a rookie player. Like people have asked me about Dean. You know, he looks a little slow out there, or whatever. You got to remember, he played less than 100 snaps last year. For all intents and purposes, this is a rookie adjusting to the NFL game, especially against Tyreek Hill, the fastest guy in the NFL. You talk about speed of the game. Like you're you're taking a step forward in terms of game speed and how quickly everything moves regardless. But then against Tyreek Hill, it just looks a little bit worse. But I thought that was something worth monitoring. The defensive front was doing so well against the run. I almost feel like, Nicobe Dean should have been a little more cautious in the run game. And I don't know what the coaching point is there. Maybe he was being coached to fly downhill and only bail once you're positive that Tua still has the ball. Maybe that's it. It was just something that I noticed a few times on film that he was getting sucked way in on these play fakes over the middle. Yeah, everything in the NFL is give or take. You can't do everything well. You never can. It's why defenses will always get beat by offenses because you'll always have some calls that beat the defense. Um, I. I noticed it. It didn't kill me maybe as much because I felt like overall the risk reward ratio was okay. I actually thought it was a really interesting chess match. Just the Dolphins kept running the same play, <laughs> just fake fake the handoff and throw it in behind my linebackers. I mean, God knows how many times they tried to do it in that game. At least eight, I would say, at least eight, um, if not more. And I thought the Eagles got better at adjusting to it. However, um, I will say one issue I had, and it wasn't actually against Dean, is I think it's a it's part of where I say nothing can be perfect. So what I'm thinking that we've really enjoyed is Eagles have started these double A gap blitzes, um, old Mike Zimmer style um, double A gap. So I think some people call them a double mug. You can call them whatever the hell you want. As we always say, I don't care what you call things when both your linebackers stand up head on the center. And what the Eagles have started doing is they've started dropping players into coverage. So some weeks they will bring both linebackers. Some weeks they'll bring one linebacker. And it's all about creating unpredictability. But on that Tyreek Hill drops touchdown that should have been an obvious touchdown, the Eagles had both their linebackers lined up about next to the center in the A-gap. Neither of them can turn and run and take away the space. So you can blame the Kobe D, and I think you're fair too, because I think he was probably the weakest of the Eagles linebackers at getting depth. But it's also really hard to ask a linebacker to play over the center and then get enough depth to take away those uh, routes, especially when you've got Tyreek Hill running them because he is the fastest player in the NFL. I think most people would agree, especially at receiver. So I wouldn't say it killed me, um, but I do think it's worth highlighting. But it sort of goes back to my point that you can't do everything. If you want a team to be aggressive against the run, they are going to get caught a couple of times uh, over the top. Um Right, so I guess my second point, or anything you want to add on Nakobe Dean or the linebackers in general? No, no, go ahead. You fire away. Right, so the second point was that, and I can sort of tie 
um, my second and third actually together here quite nicely. So my second point was going to be cover two. And my third point was going to be about how um, Sean Desire is adapting his scheme to the opposing team. And what I'll do is I'll sort of mix these two combined, actually, because they're very similar. So the Eagles never run cover two this year, ever. They just don't run cover two. I don't know what the percentages are. I'm sure there are some numbers out there about how often they run it. Um, but I'm telling you, as somebody who watched the film, they don't run it very often. I would guess less than 5%. I don't know if you can bring that up or if you even know how to bring that up. But they don't do it a lot. Um, this year or this week, it felt like they were doing it a lot. And it's very easy to say, well, you know, the Dolphins have got an explosive offense, so everyone plays split safety. But yeah, you can do, you can play quarters, you can play quarter, quarter, half. There's loads of things you can do. Um, they specifically went cover two this week. And I think the reason why was one, to protect the safety. The, to, 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 the two safeties had to do a lot less rotation. They could basically stay in a spot and knew what they were doing every play. It also meant Slay and Bradbury could press up on... Uh, the receivers at the line and not have to worry about chasing Tyreek Hill deep because you're never going to catch him anyway. The safeties were really deep. And it also meant they caught out Tour a little bit, who looked unprepared for it, to be honest. Uh, Darius Slate almost had an interception early on in the game when he played cover two, a form of cover two trap. I don't know what the exact play was, but he played some form of trap coverage. And Tua fought on third and four. He had an easy completion. And Darius Slate was basically right in his throwing window. So you can see here, he thinks he's going to break to the out and Darius Slate is just there. And Tua has no idea that Slate is going to be there. So I thought the Eagles' use of cover two was really, really good. I thought it was a great example of Desire adapting his schemes to the opposing team he's playing against. So he realized that against the Dolphins, um, they like to get vertical and cover two is a really sort of easy way of playing to also give your two safeties a much easier role rather than asking them to sort of play one deep and have to run uh, one end of the field to the other or rather than one having to come into the box and potentially have to worry about run fits as well as doing all the other stuff he has to deal with in terms of motion. So I thought it was really interesting that the Eagles use a lot of cover two. There were loads of snaps of cover two. Um, what that meant is, of course, is that there were obvious weaknesses, like there are in every coverage. So the Dolphins' biggest plays came where they were able to take advantage of that gap. Almost like you could draw a box. Uh, it sort of ties in nicely to your point about N'Kobe Dean. If you picture visually all of the Eagles linebackers and cornerbacks in a, in a line, and then you picture two safeties deep uh, 15, 20 yards behind them, what's known as the whole shot, the cover two shot, that huge gap you get between the cornerbacks and the safeties, that is always going to be there in cover two. So I think the Chiefs hit other oh, Chiefs. The Dolphins hit that off the top of my head quite a few times early on. They also hit it on... Oh, there was a play where they, it was a third down play. I can't remember off the top of my head where, um, I think it might have been the Cedric Wilson one, where they they managed to find space on third and long. Although that play might have actually been quarters. It might be a bad example. But there was one really obvious example on cover two where they hit that sideline shot. Um, and that's part of the chess match. No coverage wins against everything. And my final point, um, before I throw it over to your third one, is what I loved, though, was I felt like the Eagles changed as the game went on. So they started out really cover two heavy. But then, what's Mike McDaniel and Dolphin staff going to do? They're on the sideline. They're doing exactly what we're doing now, but they're doing it live. So after one or two drives, they're getting out the iPads or the surfaces, whatever the NFL is sponsored by these days. And they're reading it and they're looking, all oh, right, the Eagles are doing this cover two thing. So now let's take advantage of that. And they started to adapt their calls. And what the Eagles then started to do was the Eagles then started to play more man coverage for the first time. You started to see a bit more, Josiah Scott, a bit more um, Eli Ricks come into the game. And you also um, just started to see a gradual approach towards a little bit more single high. And I felt like the Dolphins, the Eagles felt like they were one step ahead of the Dolphins offense at all times. 
um, which considering they were the number one offense going into this week and the Eagles had two safeties that, to be honest, I thought Sidney Brown was actually good, which is an excellent sign. Edmonds wasn't, sadly, and that's why he's gone. Um, and he had a couple of busts that were really bad, as you'll talk about in a second. But yeah, I thought it was really cool the way the Eagles defense changed. Um, I could go over in more detail in terms of run fits as well, but we've seen basically very little um, what you want to call base defense. The Eagles base is what I call 5-2. So they don't play 4-3 anymore because they don't play three traditional off-ball linebackers. So 5-2 is their base. This was a really heavy week of base defense. There was a lot of 5-2. There was a lot less nickel. Um, cornerback, you didn't see Josiah Scott on the field that often um, because they played a lot of cover two, basically a 5-2 front. And everything they did felt like they were one step ahead of the Dolphins. And the other really cool thing they did, which I will lead very nicely into your final point, is this idea of um, the way they try to take away Tyreek Hill. And yes, Tyreek Hill had over 100 yards or whatever he had, and he's always going to create big plays. He should have had a touchdown. But for the most part, when you watch that game, it felt like they did a really good job mixing up their coverages later on in the game. So I'll let you take it away and talk about some of the things they did to stop, or at least maybe not stop, but slow down Tyreek Hill. Yeah, so... Uh, through the first six weeks of the season, the Eagles have run cover two on 2.9% of their wow. defensive snaps. Uh, league average is 9.9%. The Eagles yep. do it at the fifth lowest rate. Uh, only the Dolphins, Rams, Jets, and Panthers. It's funny that the Eagles have played three of those four teams. Yeah, uh, Run cover two at a lower rate than the Eagles. So uh, to your point about it being really rare for them to do that, it is. Um, and yeah, Tyree Kill, he gets 11 catches, 88 yards and a touchdown. He should have had another touchdown. That weird sequence where he like caught it and then bounced it off his knee uh, was really weird. I thought maybe it was a fumble live. He was certain he certainly thought it was. And I was just like praying that the ball would get out of the end zone. I was like, if he recovers this in the end zone for a touchdown uh, and then it, it was ruled incomplete. But yeah, let's talk about his touchdown. So uh, I've I might zig where a lot of people are zagging here, uh, or maybe I'm using that backwards. Maybe I'm zagging and people are zigging, whatever it is. However, I should be expressing that. I really don't think that touchdown that he, that Tyree kill got is on Terrell Edmonds. And so uh, I'll throw this up on the screen. Uh, let me talk through it before I click play that the Eagles are running a bracket coverage here. Uh, and I'll show an example of a different way that they doubled Tyree kill in a moment, but bracket coverage is basically uh, the quarterback, the cornerback, in this case, it's James Bradbury is playing cover one technique, which is low and outside. You want to play in cover one. You want to play with outside leverage. You want to push him to the inside of the field where you have a safety. And typically you'll have a, a linebacker over the middle as well. So bracket coverage, Bradbury is going to get low and outside. And then you've got the safety playing over the top. The safety is responsible for high and inside. And, and obviously I'll roll, I'll roll the clip here. And you guys can see that he steps way down inside and he gets beat over the top. A lot of people said, you know, that's bad, bad. He didn't get his depth, whatever. But let's remember, we're talking about a safety against the fastest receiver in the NFL. And when we add the context in that on the three plays previous to that, seriously, three plays in a row, Tyreek Hill ran the dig route. And then you come out to this. What are you expecting him to run? Well, you're going to expect the end breaker, right? And uh, per Philly Films uh, on Twitter, which is a great follow, although he doesn't put a lot on Twitter, it's mostly on YouTube. Uh, on 17 plays from third and seven to 12, Tyree Kill has run one go ball 
in that situation. Everything else is that dig route. It's a tendency. And I think Sean Desai calls this coverage. You cannot realistically expect Terrell Edmonds to play both inside and over the top on Tyreek Hill. Impossible. I, I don't think you could expect Darius Slay to do that, much less Terrell Edmonds. I think they were playing the tendencies there and they got beat. Uh, PFF charted that touchdown on Bradbury. Eagles fans thought it was on Edmonds. To be honest, I don't think it's on either one. I think it was a perfect tendency breaker for the Dolphins that attacked the whole, like we've said before, perfect offense beats perfect defense. Every defense has a weakness. That's the weakness of bracket. Now, should you be running bracket in that situation? Let's go to the final drive here and talk about a different coverage. This is ring coverage. I know exactly uh, what you're going to talk about. I love it. I love that I was going to say the exact same thing, and we didn't script this off air. I've got my phone next to me. I've got the exact play you're going to talk about. So sorry to interrupt. That's, that's perfect. Literally perfect. Go for it. Yeah, so this is ring 10, which means 10 is Tyree Kill's number. We're doubling 10. This time, the way that you do it, uh, it plays out more like man-to-man. -man. It's a trail technique from the cornerback, which means he's going to play low and inside instead of low and outside. And then you've got safety over the top. Now, the advantage to this is, what are the two threats from Tyree Kill? It's the deep in route. It's the go route. This time, instead of making your safety responsible for both, the cornerback is responsible for one because he's inside and under. And the safety is responsible for over the top. You're dividing those responsibilities. This is a much better way to play this coverage out. This is what I would have done on that third down that Tyreek scores his touchdown on. Run a coverage similar to this. Uh, on the backside, it's just man-to-man -man coverage. The safety, he's technically in a quarters technique, but he's just sort of free to do whatever. And if we see this one play out, you'll just see this ends in a sack. But where are you going to throw this ball to Tyreek Hill? Slay is on the inside. He's underneath that inbreaker. If it went vertical, you've got a safety over the top. That's just the way that you want to play this out. So I'll roll these again and let people watch them. And again, I'll tweet this out. And when I tweet it out, I'll show the three plays in a row before this one uh, that were the end breakers. But asking Terrell Edmonds to take both deep and inside, that's going to fail like 99% of the time. But when you put one guy underneath inside, one guy over the top, which the Eagles did, it results in a sack. It puts the Dolphins behind the sticks. That's what's going to work out a lot better. And so I love that the Eagles adjusted on that. And, and to be clear, I don't hate the bracket call. Like I said, there is a clear tendency that the Dolphins are going to throw that end breaker to Tyree Kill there. You rolled the dice. It didn't work out. It's no different than you know rolling the dice on a cover zero and they go max protect and you find a guy to complete a third and 17, which happened in this game. You rolled the dice and it didn't work out. But I do think people were a little excessive in blaming either Bradbury or Edmonds for that one. It was just the perfect play call. I love that because what you've done is you fired shots at me because on my Twitter thread, I blamed Edmonds. Uh, you've <laughs> half convinced me, half not. Like, I totally agree with you, actually, when you watch it. Um, funny enough, it's something that I've said before. I think I said it on our first podcast uh, again, when we had the Jets game. I think I said that Edmonds and um, Bradbury failed twice when they tried to bracket Garrett Wilson. This is a bit of a QB school-ism. I'm sure lots of you follow JT O'Sullivan. Bracket, when you get an outside-inside, what do you do? Run deep. In fact, actually, it's a really, really effective way to play bracket coverage is to just run straight by it because basically you're screwed going in, you're screwed going out, so you might as well go deep. Um, people say bracket all the time. And this is where we talk about different terms. If you want to call every double coverage bracket, go for it. Like, I don't care. If you want to call ring bracket, I 
I don't care. Like it's essentially it's a form of bracket. They're both forms of bracket. People will say ring on Twitter as you've just done now. Sound very cool. And we yeah, we know the coverage. We've seen the playbook. And it is great, isn't it? But essentially, it's a form of bracket. I'm going to use my first ever. We're two weeks in. I'm going to use my first ever English football reference here. Um, what I like more than this, and I'm sure lots of you watch, as you would say, soccer. Um, I'm sure a lot of you watch um, football over there as well, English football, I should say. So there's a big debate in English set-piece world, and apologies if this means nothing to you, between when you defend a set-piece, do you run man or zone? And very simply, man is where each defender takes a opposing player. Zone is where each defender defends a space. Now, statistically, zone has been proved to be better. However, the problem with zone is, is that no one has responsibility for a player. So let's say X player scores. Sometimes you can look and say, well, who had responsibility for him? And it's harder to blame someone. Whereas if you're in man coverage and your guy scores, everyone knows it's your fault. The crowd knows it's your fault. Your teammates know it's your fault. Uh, the coaches know it's your fault. Everyone knows it's you instantly. And I think it makes, I don't know if that makes you play harder, but I think it makes you play like 1% tougher like if you watch Darius Slay on that rep against Tyreek Hill that's just good coverage like I don't care if there's a safety there or not that's just really good coverage but the reason why it's good coverage is because number one he knows he has got Tyreek Hill in coverage so if Tyreek Hill has a big conversion here fans are going to be tweeting Darius Slay the commentators are going to go after Darius Slay the cameras are going to cut to him looking angry he knows it's his guy and there's a little bit of like personal you are not going to beat me but the benefit is he can undercut it. And the Eagles did, did this brilliantly against Justin Jefferson um, recently as well, where he's able to undercut it because he knows he has that safety help. You make a very convincing case that Bradbury is also at fault. I actually think it's a case of I'm not sure any of them are at fault. I think it's the wrong coverage for that route. Um, and that's what we say about you can't cover everything in the NFL. I think you can make a strong case. It's actually a bad call. However, if they've looked at the Dolphins' tendencies, as you just said, this is the this is why we love the NFL, because it's a chess match. If the Dolphins have realized, right, they might bracket Tyreek Hill here. Do you know what? Let's break our own tendencies. Let's not run an in. Let's run a, a vertical shot. And actually, that's just really good offense from the Dolphins. Um, Which brings but, us full circle yeah. to the Eagles' tendency breaker from empty that we talked about at the top. Exactly. That's just like... Chef's kiss yes, yes. Yeah, brings exactly. it full circle exactly what the Eagles need to do. Part of being a good NFL, being a good team is scouting yourself really effectively, not just scouting the opposition. So realizing what your tendencies are and then using that to your advantage. But I agree with you. Whatever you want to call different forms of bracket, I don't care. There are two things that I really like. One is that we are actually using it because last year we didn't. Look at CeeDee Lamb, kill the Eagles from the slot against Josiah Scott and basically Jonathan Gannon go, well, we don't have a plan B. We're just going to hope it works. <laughs> so now they are using brackets. They've used them a lot this year. They actually used the exact same coverage that you just showed there. They used uh, it against Cooper Cup, funnily enough, on a Hassan Reddick sack. So I think we've gone even more full circle to end the game on the last drive. It's something they like doing at the end of the game when you know teams are going to throw because you don't like using it as much early on because then if they run the ball, you've basically got two defenders out of the play. So it's not great early on in games. It's a really good to run at the end of games or on third and long where you know you're going to get a, a obvious passing call they use the exact same against cooper cup where darius slay um played inside and i think it was justin evans over the top so the things i really like are one that you mentioned they've got different ways to bracket receivers because i think the more ways you can win in this league the better and two 
goes back to my point, again, full circle, is that we are willing to adapt the defense to what the opposing team is doing now. Last year, the Eagles were so talented on defense, they could just run quarters every third and long. And they could run five-man fronts every first down, and occasionally they stopped the run. And every time they did stop the run, then they had second and third and long, and they couldn't throw the ball because Slay, Bradbury, Maddox, uh, who else? Um, who, how the hell could I forget? Marcus Epps and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson were just so good that the Eagles basically could just run zone match quarters every third and long, and no one could beat it because their secondary was so, so talented. This year, it's different. Their safeties this game were not very good. Their backups, their slot cornerback was not great. They had to find different ways to win. You can even argue that Slay and Bradbury are not playing as high of a level. Well, actually, I think that's just because the scheme's harder this year, not because they've lost a step or anything. So what I love about the Eagles defense is that they're adapting to what the opposing team is doing. That's a really, really good example there. It's not one that I'd thought of about showing with two different forms of bracket. So I think a lot of people, if you're wondering what bracket coverage means, you'll learn a lot there. Um, I think we said each week we'll throw out a concept of the week. Uh, I think we were going to mention this week that basically the concept of the week was just different ways that the Eagles could double. So each week we'll try and give you something you can learn and look out for in future games. So on offense, we gave you um, crash. And on defense, we've given you this idea of the different forms of bracket coverage. But I'll go back to my football analogy. I like the idea of knowing who's at fault. I think it does matter. I think there's a little bit of personal pressure where you know you're covering someone and you do not want that player to beat you because it's responsible um, for you only. And you're right, Bradbury on that play, if he gets beat deep, he, let's be honest, most fans, commentators, they're not they're not pointing at Bradbury. Fans weren't tweeting at Bradbury. He sort of goes under the radar, even if I don't think it's necessarily his fault, by putting a man, your Slay's coverage in the second team, he's basically one-on-one. He's one-on-one, but he can undercut it because he knows he's got a safety over the top. And that is exactly what you want to do against someone like a Tyreek Hill. Against someone like a Cooper Cup, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you, you want to take that in and out because he's so good on in and out breaking routes that actually it makes sense to play that form of bracket. The more things you can do well, the more tools you have in your toolbox when you play really good offenses. So it's really cool that we're seeing the Eagles defense already in his, in the first year having so many different things they can do to counter NFL offenses. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many other things we could talk about in this game. Uh, obviously can't talk about them all. I would love to get into the final drive at the amount of time they took off the clock. I would love to get into how the Eagles just have first and eight and a half on every drive because they can QB sneak for a yard and a half. There's so many other directions we could go. We just simply don't have time in a podcast uh, so be sure and check out Johnny's film threads on Twitter and his written pieces for BGN. Be sure and check out my all 22 videos. I have one up on the passing game right now. Uh, I am going to have one up about the different types of double coverage. Uh, I'm probably not going to get to it till tomorrow now, but be sure you guys check that out. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter. He is at Johnny page nine. I am at Shane half NFL. Again, please leave us ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts. Let us know, uh, are you following what we're saying? Are the clips helpful? Are we are we getting too deep, too off in the weeds? We want to know those things, so be sure and drop that in a review just on the Shane page at the top. We will be checking those. If you guys have questions for us, if you see something in a game on Sunday that you want us to talk about, also let us know, uh, and we'll keep experimenting with formats and get it the best that we absolutely can. So uh, before we get out of here, Johnny, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to plug to the people? 
Yeah, just the same thing. We can't do everything here. Um, we both write a lot. You do, you're more on the video side. I'm more on the written side. Please check out the timelines and please, please give feedback. Uh, my one's a bit personal in terms of like mic quality, but please do tweet me and let me know. I do listen back, but I want to hear what you people think. And yeah, iTunes ratings, obviously we want five star because it looks nice and it helps BGN and it also helps people obviously know this podcast is doing well. But also it's a really easy way for us to see what you like uh, and what you don't like and any things you have to improve so please please we're very new to this i know shane's done a lot of podcasts but probably not in terms of the x's and o's like this different form and i'm brand new and we want to make it as good as we possibly can i think there is sort of a space for an eagles podcast like this that we're hoping we can uh, fill so please please do let us know and yeah thank you as well for just all the lovely comments because it is a lot of time that goes into this we do spend a lot of time watching it um so yeah thank you for all the lovely comments because it makes it worthwhile all right, that is going to wrap it up for episode number two of On the Shane Page. Like, comment, review, smash that subscribe button. We will be back next week to break down an Eagles victory over the Washington Commanders. Till next time, go Birds. Go Birds.